Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. I'm just tired. I'm not nervous. He's not nervous. He's Welcome not nervous. to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. This is the Ed Never Nervous Father Michael Rapp. Never Nervous Father Michael Rapp. Uh, Father John, hey, uh, cheers. Good okay. to be back. The, uh, I, I want to get him drinking as fast as possible on this topic today. So here we go. He's oh, a little no. nervous. And I want to cheers our listener audience here, Father John Alexander Clockman. Yes, Father who, John uh, Clockman, welcome. Uh, welcome. It's great to have him here. He's on a, a sabbatical, and uh, he's uh, doing an independent study, and he's going to join us on the next one, and uh, he's going to lead a, a very good topic. He is a pure turbo sanguine, which made him uh, best friends with my mom immediately upon meeting her about 13 years ago when we were at the college seminary together up in Minnesota, and uh, they would say things like, hey, you know, you want to come with to the movies, and uh, mom's bringing bars this week, you know, Excellent. you know, so the, uh, w- very excited to have my mom and uh, dad come into town, but also grateful to have Father Clockman Minnesota style. What, what exactly makes for a sanguine, like a turbo sanguine? You just said turbo sanguine. He says they immediately light up the uh, room, they don't, and then they start talking, and they, well, they talk, but, you entertain. Know, Entertainers. One of the things people that classic, people want to get to classic know. sanguine is when they're in a room of microphones and they don't have a microphone. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was an unfair yeah. question. We shouldn't have asked louder. him. I cannot wait for this next one because it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be. Yeah, we're going to have Father John Clockman. We're going to have Father John Clockman on the next so. uh, episode here. Yeah. Well, speaking of sanguines um, and not sanguines, I've been trying to reach out to our old friend, Father Brian Larkin. And um, there's a number of people who listen to this podcast who are just very fascinated by, who is this Father Brian Larkin? Oh, yeah. Who well, he did guy? an episode one, one time in a British accent, didn't he? He did, yes, yes. That was actually global. But uh, <laughs> uh, so people are you very confused. You just gave it away. I, I didn't mean to set that up. But I, uh, I've been thinking about Father Brian the last few days because I've been listening to the samples, right? Because oh, Father yeah. Peter, um, our neighbor here, uh, said... Does anybody else hear that prehistoric bird that like screams at four a.m. every morning? And I was like, "Nope." And do you hear this thing? There's some weird Here birds the that house? circle the the casa like early in the early hours of the morning. You heard this? No. no. You're I busy hearing th- all the people screaming. I've never heard Larkato, this in my yeah. life. So, anyways, he mentioned the word prehistoric bird, and I was like, "Prehistoric bird." That's a sample song from the late '80s, ah. and it's possibly the worst song I've ever heard. But I it took me back, and like four hours later on Sunday, I was just listening to. The best of the the samples from 1984 to 1993. Oh yeah, and that's I can't. You know, I I have to confess that I've never been a real samples fan. Really, but I do love Father Brian Larkin, and I want to love them. And I like their Africa song. That's the Africa song. No, 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 no. Oh, Af- that's Toto. That's <laughs> oh, I was totally wrong. Totally okay, different. never mind. I don't like anything from the, the samples. Nobody really knows the samples, <laughs> but at one point. Dave Matthews was opening for the samples. Now, Father Jason Wunsch, who actually listens to this podcast, can attest to that. He was a samples guy because Sean Kelly was a dropout from Boulder High School way back in the day, probably when Wunsch was teaching there. You know, That's the samples guy? he's like 60 or whatever, you know? Yeah, he's the lead singer of the samples. So, ah. Yeah. So the samples are still going strong, still playing. They got to be. Prehistoric Birds. Prehistoric Bird is a terrible song, but they have a number of really good ones as well. So putting that out there. All right. We're not going to do this as an intro song, those samples, because we're legally, we're trying to be more responsible. Yeah. So, 
I don't know. I mean, it seems like things are going okay on that score. There we go. Yeah. So, well, speaking of legal, <laughs> you're looking for a transition. He I just wants got to jump approval. in. You are so. Oh, I just got the nervous. approval from Father John Clockman. Uh, I don't know. I think it's just tired. I don't think it's nervous. Are you just tired? I am a little nervous, but yeah. I think I like I I have less control of myself and what I say and rambling and such when I'm tired. Yeah, so I, that's that's what makes me nervous. Is that you're supposed to kind of be clear and articulate. He will. Yeah, we've had a we've had a you know it's been a big couple weeks here. We've been um, just working away and uh, still recovering from our visitors. You know, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and uh, so and we have Turbo Sanguin Man I'm here. I'm also down feeling the hall. a little sensitive because we've been getting a lot of feedback. Oh uh, no, that's been a little hard. About chewing on those Sour Patch candies. And that was deserved. That yeah, was I know. And I feel like I, I got to make an apology. They need I'm to listen to Kind the, of embarrassed. And, uh, they need to listen to the Mercy podcast. I was talking to a podcast listener, Kitty Eisenbeel, and uh, I'll give a shout out to her family. And isn't that a crazy name? Kitty and Blaze Eisenbeel. It's like, those are like Agatha yeah, Christie pretty, characters or something. They're epic. Yeah, yeah, I like those names. But she was like, Hey, I love the podcast. Father Michael is so deep. Father Nathan, so funny. Father Mike, just so lovable. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Go on. Kind of like gearing up for you. And Number then, four. And then you're going to say, Number four. but you are, the, you are the most amazing one. And she didn't say that. She said, you know, you got to quit talking over Father Mike. And I was like, ah, you're supposed to say, no, it, I only listen because of you. I'm probably only Catholic because of you on this podcast. Uh, the, yes. This is what the sanguine is waiting for. Complete and total self-affirmation at all times. And if it doesn't happen, you're kind of like, Wait, why are we complimenting other people here? here? What, what are we doing here if we're not... But I'm going to try and intentionally not talk over you. Are you? Well, that's not good. On this one, I think you got to interject sometimes. Because, look... What if I awkwardly right, pause? Last time I did... awkwardly pause. It's like... In, and then I'll I, you can't awkward, more profound thoughts. You can't out awkwardly pause me. That's the only that problem. That is the problem. I can't... I cannot... <laughs> I cannot <laughs> You're just too uncomfortable with the silence. I, I, that was a... You totally called my bluff. That was a well, threat. I was like, it. I'm gonna, I mean, I'm gonna awkwardly pause and just, you know, chew some sour patch kids. But you're right. No, I you can't, can't do that. The, you can't chew the sour patch. I Look, can't do that. We are, we are sorry for the nonsense of chewing the sour patch. It's gross, and at at a certain point, you cross the line. You know, we've got a lot of crass things that we can do and say, but chewing sour patch kids into the microphone is absolutely disgusting right. and is turning people's breakfast and we were when do people listen i don't know i we repent of this you know the other thing speaking of being called out on was i've just realized recently like these podcasts are played in many a minivan around the united states oh yeah and uh parents are having a difficult time uh explaining to little jimmy seven-year-old like Oh, Father Nathan just said the word debauchery. What does that mean, Mommy? <laughs> and you're just like, uh. I did get that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ooh, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try and teach little Jimmy less new vocabulary. Okay. Because good. Um, I grew up in a locker room. I'm sorry. I'm working on it. You know. But uh, <laughs> that sounds really, like a famous quote. I never really left the, the last. Well, few there weeks. you go. It's locker room talk. I'm not. A, I'm not proud of it. <laughs> There's your in. I know There's that is. In. That was like a good lead. Oh in. man! But you don't want to get to the topic. No, I don't. Anymore. I hate this topic. I hate talking about it. I hate thinking about it. And uh, but I'm when you said we need to do this, and I was like, we need to do this. Okay. Well, so I'm glad that I'm glad that you're open to it. That's what you said about my last topic. Well, I hated that one too. <laughs> oh, mercy! I want oh. to talk about mercy. Huh? Mercy. I'm just joking. 
The Pope. Well, the Pope does. And we now we're to... going to do it. We're going to talk about politics. So what is the title of this topic? I don't know. I, you know, I, I come up with the title after the podcast is over. So it'll be something either an attempt at being clever or something clever. It's usually pretty clever. We'll see. Yeah. You've got one? Politics. Father, <laughs> Father John Clocksman. Hold on. Politics? I want to I repeat this. This is good. He's a, he's, you're kind of a... Um, he's like a jingle guy. Like a <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could be writing this stuff. Politics, as it ticks you off. Politics. You get kicks out of politics. That's it. Politics and politics. All right. I got more. Yeah. I got he's a, a jingle other. guy. You set that you're, to music, you're a man. Guy. You can make some cake. <laughs> I've heard you give like three or four like just witty one-liners, and I was like, uh, he needs to like when we write articles for these classes, we need to have him do the titles, just kind of you know, oh yeah, like piece in a piece, these kind of things, you know. Yeah, that could be another topic. <laughs> yeah, that's another topic. <laughs> little Jimmy doesn't want it. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, to, it's not politics exactly because I don't want to just get into. I know it's election season, and this is um, chosen with uh, attention to the fact that election season is coming up. Everybody's got politics on their mind, so I say, why don't we talk about politics? Right. Well, so part of it. Wait, you just said we're not going to talk about politics. We are going to talk about politics. Well, we're going to talk about Catholic social teaching. Okay. So we're not going to talk about issues that are facing American voters. Oh. Although we are talking about principles that should inform the way that Catholics think about politics. That is a lovely, lovely distinction. I preached about that in Boulder four years ago and almost got lynched. Uh, it was bad. Oh. And it was exactly that. There's a difference between issues and, pol- and principles. So I'm happy you're... Yeah. Taking this on. Well, I can see why you're traumatized, too. I am. Um, I got on a plane and flew to London after that homily. It was amazing. Uh-oh. So my parents were living over there. So Larkin and I... And well, you, we can, and I mean, there. there's potential to get really upset, I guess, about about uh, Catholic social teaching. But well, I guess there are some incredibly wise principles that are just worth sharing um, and worth knowing as Catholics. Here's what I'd like to propose. Um Dave Hust, you know, he flies helicopters. You've heard about this and kills wild pigs. That's what he does for a, uh, a hobby. Yeah, and yeah, so I, I envision this plant, this podcast is kind of like hovering, you know, below. I, we don't need to land into the particulars yeah. of what's going on yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we got to kind of hover low enough to kill some of the hogs. Is yeah. That, is that okay? I don't want to fly. I don't want to fly too high in the principles. I think I understand your metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, does that make like, sense? I, I'm just making this up as I go here. You know how this works. Well, I mean, when, when you want to bring in an example of specifics and kill one of those hogs, then All right. let me know. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of bringing in particulars or uh, looking at general, uh, general principles. Okay. But I think the principles are helpful uh, for one, uh, one special reason these days. Uh, the, the campaign team of one Hillary Clinton was going after Catholics recently. Right, that's a hog. Were, <laughs> they were caught. <laughs> that, yeah, that is. I mean, that's are, good. This is names. I don't. I don't mind. Uh, this is just kind of things that people know. Um, they were caught in the WikiLeaks. Yeah. Uh, the I guess the Russians are, you know, leaking those emails. Uh, they they were caught saying that uh, that Catholics don't know what they're talking about. Right. And that they are um, kind of behind the times and backward thinking. And um, they, I, the two particulars that were brought up were that they, they mentioned uh, Thomistic thought and subsidiarity, 
but they have no idea what these things are, mm. and they use big words but don't know what they're talking about. Right. Try to confuse people and whatever. So one one thing I thought was, well, I'd like to just respond to that claim in one in in part just by saying uh, we don't appreciate the trash talk. You know, as Catholics, you know, we're a respectable group, and many Catholics are well informed about. Um, a lot of things are well educated, are well um, well informed about politics and issues, and um, actually know what the things we talk about are. Yeah, I, I I I'm wondering. I'm looking at hogs running all over the place right now, and I'm trying to. I, my frustration is Catholics who think that we're backward minded. I expect stupid politicians and their cabinets to say stupid things. Uh-huh. I, I, maybe that's just because I'm so jaded politically. But what I get frustrated about is when I would confront people in the parish who honestly, or are Catholic, who think that the Catholic Church is so backwards and so in the past, and we got to kind of update this thing, and we got to yeah. kind of. These are the people that just really would would push me to the edge really quickly, and so I, yeah. I don't want to just say the problem is all those people outside of the church who or think that we're stupid. media or something, yeah. I think, the, and the, or the media, that's true. Those people that really piss me off, and I, I don't like that one bit. But my the main thing is that we got a lot of people in the United States um, who are Catholic who really think, would say the same thing. Yeah. And that... Although I don't want to give the impression that it's a majority of Catholics that are dissenting. Um, I... I would argue that uh, the majority of Catholics actually think uh, in a similar manner about Catholic teaching and are would consider themselves um, the church. I mean, the way that the media will talk about these things and the way that the politicians will often talk about these things is if bishops and priests are kind of leading the rest of the people like puppets and telling them what to do and what to think. And it's the, those leaders that are backward thinking rather than what I think is a fact, that the majority of Catholics actually subscribe to wise principles of Catholic teaching, and that there are some dissenting voices, but it doesn't represent a majority. It doesn't represent a a great social unrest in the Catholic Church. Actually, most Catholics are like-minded. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's true. I think I'd agree with that statement. And I think we're speaking about, like, huge demographical waves here you know like the old school generation you know what i mean they're just rock stars they're gonna die like that they just were faithful to the church the ones who went through the cultural revolution and who lived through 1968 father john clockman on my left they he was just a little baby (laughs) just a little single baby but they 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 got scars from that you know and it's not to say they're bad i don't think i'd be any different i don't know where i'd be if i if i lived through the the turmoil of the 60s and 70s um and uh, but that's yeah, who, who? Where was the Catholic vote four years ago? That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, was it? What well, I mean? Well, I think was okay, it where it so should have been. We're going to talk about like partisan politics. Hogs. <laughs> part, part of the thing with the partisan politics is that we have Catholic social teaching that um, the one party uh, subscribes to some of it, but not all of it. The other party subscribes to some of it and not all, not all of it, and then sells this stuff to the Catholics. Right. And I think Catholics are being manipulated by both parties. Right. And I'm, I rather resent it as a young Catholic who's grown up for and uh, been, been around as an adult Catholic and voter for long enough to know that I am not satisfied with what the parties are, are appealing to 
uh, among Catholics. I feel manipulated by the parties. So I, I'm not I totally I'm not trying to I'm not trying to promote one one or the other. I I'd like to go through some of these principles so that we can see that we have a bigger picture than what's represented by the uh, the parties of uh, that uh, are governing the United States right now. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, it's very frustrating for everybody right now. And I would love to see. Um, here's a real, real practical. I would love to see a third party grow up that is um, a natural law party. You know, this is my this is my kind of theory. Yeah. Uh, so a party that represents um, the values. That uh, that Catholics um, hold, and um, that does that in a holistic way, right. not just like we have to pick between these parties that emphasize one or the other, right? Um, okay, let's get into the. We're going into, into it. Okay, guys. Okay, I'm so, going to listen attentively and pause awkwardly. Go ahead. Okay, well, I'll try to do this. I don't know how to, how exactly <laughs> to present this stuff. Um, so there's a whole wealth of documents that have been um, published by the Church's Magisterium and uh, over the course of the last 150 years about how uh, s- justice works within society, right? Uh, yes. If you go through... <laughs> are you following? Are you with I me? I was working on my awkward pauses. Are we, okay, so if you go through these documents, you can, you can uh, draw out particular principles over time. There's been different values at different times. During the Industrial Revolution, the church was teaching about society. During um, the wars, the church was teaching about uh, the good of society. And in our own time, the church is continuing to speak about what makes for good society. So you've got to work through, um, I, I'm suggesting, a century and a half. But really, we've got 2,000 years of teaching. Yeah. Um, but you can draw some principles, uh, particular principles about what makes for a good, healthy society, according to uh, Mother Church. Okay, we got a question. We got a question. Yes, for go Father for John it. Clark. Hold on a second. Let me pass you the mic. Hey, we got a question right, for Father well, John. It's not necessarily a question, but um, <laughs> it's kind of a statement question. Okay. There seems to be a distinction, though, that the church is making between um, social teachings that the church offers. Okay. And uh, those teachings that have been usurped and maybe distorted or uh, rearranged in such a way that some politicians or cultural uh, manipulators like to call social justice. Okay. And some people confuse the two. Maybe you don't want to talk about that at this point, but we're, what you're proposing, from what I'm understanding as a member of the audience here, a quiet member of the audience, is that uh, <laughs> you're talking about the Catholic social teachings, right. about the well-ordering of society, things along those lines. Not necessarily social justice, where people get together with you know um, um, various different neighborhood uh, Organizer, community organizers, and things like that. That's not necessarily what you're talking about, correct? Right. 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 Well, there was a time. There was a time when social justice was a, a stock phrase in the church, and it, it, that's loaded with all kinds of ideology. That is not exactly what I'm talking about. That's a very good distinction. Um, I am using the word justice, and I'm using the word social. A little more bourbon, Thank but you. I'm not just talking about <laughs> what, uh, how to, how. Um, 
particularly to, s- to serve the poor or to organize society. Right? The only thing I would add to that is that social justice is not a, is not a term from the past. It's a term now. Where it's trying to be refined theologically. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a new school that's trying to do the liberation theology thing, except in an orthodox thing. But it is very very prominent still with with it's still prop yeah. and still well, problematic. It's, a, it's still a fr- it's still a phrase that the church uses in her teaching. Yeah. So we have to we have to broaden the definition so that it's not making Father John uncomfortable yeah. because he's got memories of this particular way of using totally. social justice. Totally. Really, uh, those are those are uh, that's a good it's a good term that um, can be broadened, and I think we can c- continue to use it. Um, and I think this, and use it well. These principles are the best way to really flesh out and really see like what is this thing because it's really beautiful. I mean, this is what you're yeah. trying to propose. Yeah, we the keep social teaching of so. the church. Okay, continue. Okay, so um, you got Could two see you? two kind of overarching Whoa. principles. Um, the first, I'm, I've got a list here of 14 principles drawn from the the social teaching of the church. I'm going to, they're organized as two master uh, principles or a, a master principle and a guiding norm, and then um, a number of descriptive principles and then uh, norms of justice. They're kind of the application of the, um, the principles that you learn. So I'm only going to list that last part, but I want to just kind of walk through a number of these principles. Good. And uh, you can chime in and discuss and I would just them like as to, you like. I just would like to warn anybody who is excited about this topic and goes to read encyclicals. Um, for Dr. Berger's class, we read every encyclical, and what we found out very quickly was uh, the first thing a pope does when he writes an encyclical is he says everything that's ever been said prior to him oh, yeah. and then says something new. So you can read Centesimus Anus and uh, you know, yeah. kind of get the full thing. You don't have to read every of the however many encyclicals, which are fine, but they're just... Yeah, there's you know. a, usually a good summary section. Okay, so here's some of the principles. First one, primacy of the human person. Mm. Okay, so what's going to govern the whole thing is uh, the ultimate question about why do people relate to each other and what makes for a healthy society. The ultimate and foundational question is what is a human being and what is good for the human person. The reason that we're organizing and we're talking about social um, social teaching, like what's what makes for a good society, has to do with what is the good for each individual person. What makes for a flourishing human being? But you have to ask that question. What is a human being and uh, what's good for them? Like mm-hmm. what, what is a good life? What is... Um, what is proper to a human being. And now that's going to take us much deeper than we need to go. There's a whole branches of Christian teaching called anthropology. Right. And uh, there's philosophical kind, theological kind. We don't need to get into exactly the details of what is the human person. Right, which I would just, I would just add an interesting little caveat. We, you hear that and you think, yeah, no-brainer. You know? um, that's, that just is uh, obvious, yeah, primacy of the human person. But the number one most aggressive, aggressively anti-Catholic um, program at the University of Colorado when I was there, from what I heard from students, was anthropology. Oh, really? More than literature, more than philosophy, more than religious studies, anthropology. So the battle, yeah. like, like uh, the average kid in a literature program would tell me maybe once a week they would bash the Catholic Church. One kid told me every single day he heard the church get In ripped. anthropology? In course. anthropology. Because that seems unnecessary. Be, but why? Because of this fundamental thing. Mm. If you want to, if you want to drop, if you want to destroy the whole project, 
you got to redefine the person. You got to go and make an anthropological shift. That's why John Paul's brilliance was we got to establish an adequate anthropology in order to build this theology of the body, right? right. So the, the work, so much of the work right now is anthropological. So yeah. anyways, I just say yeah, that. Yeah, and I, you can see that in society right now. A lot of our politics are fought over what is a person right. and what makes for uh, you know the human life, normal human life, a good human life, what are rights and these kinds of things. So uh, that first principle is simply that the human person takes primacy in discussions of society, Okay. So the flourishing of the human person is at the center of the question. So you can't say, like the communists did, this is about a nation, right? It's, uh, the guiding principle is what's good for the country or the motherland, the, the fatherland, right? No, it's about the people who make up that society, okay? It's, it's really about the flourishing of the people. Maritain has this interest. Jacques Maritain has this interesting line where he says, "The individual exists for the community, but the community exists for the person." Yeah, there you, there go. you go. Yeah, so. yeah. existentialist, famous existentialist yeah. philosopher. Okay, um, a guiding norm uh, to to enact this principle of the primacy of the human person is um, our interest in justice and uh, and the common good. So, the question then becomes, what is due to a human person? And that's the question of justice. Justice asks, um, what is due? What, what ought a human person to uh, be given? What kind of rights do they have? Um, what needs to be protected by society? And what needs to be encouraged or fostered in society? What is due to the human person? And so um, Catholic teaching has often, uh, or has had a strong influence on the world's use of rights language and has a, has a history of influencing our, even the development of human rights. Uh, you can go to uh, the Internet and find a, an essay by a Mary Ann Glendon that has, is a great essay written about... Uh, she's a professor at Harvard and a great lawyer. Um, she, it, it's written about the influence of Catholic social teaching on uh, human rights and mm. the development of human rights in history. So hmm, interesting. you have to go there to find that out. Dr. Berger, we keep talking about Berger. He was this great moral theologian we had at, in seminary, still there. And, uh, but he would always talk about it's dangerous to speak about human rights without responsibilities, that those two go in, in tandem. You know what I mean? Like there's not, you can't just say, I have my rights, I have my rights, these are my rights. But it it's all has to be part of the whole, the kind of the whole responsibility of, of being formed into the truth more completely, so right. And if, and this is this is a Thomistic principle. This the stuff about justice. Uh, Thomas Aquinas says justice is a habit whereby we render to each his due with a constant and firm will. So this talking about rights to people is is a Thomistic is Thomistic language already. Okay. Yeah, there's responsibility to it. There's a lot to rights. Like, what what is really due to a human being? That's built on our concept of the human being, that anthropology you were just talking about. Um, but it can't be just up to uh, the determination of the society or some positive norms. Like, this can't come down to whatever a person wants is what they have a right to or what they're due. I think we get really confused with rights language right now um, because... We're, we're not asking, like, what ultimately belongs to a human person or, like, what should be given to them. Like, basic things, like food and water and shelter, like human rights language is based mm-hmm. off of. But we're now talking about 
well, if somebody wants this or that, shouldn't they have a right to it, right? Right. You know, so uh, this language can be abused. So we have to get into, well, what is proper and what is due to, uh, to people and how can um, society ensure that they have that, right? Damn. Good. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking of a million things in my head at all times to say, and I'm kind of like, we got to keep moving. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. So we're going to get, uh, here's, here's seven descriptive principles and then that's, bam, go uh, for it. That's our, you're doing a good kind job. of, uh, map, right? right? Our framework. Well, it's uh, good to, it's so, good to pull up a little bit and see where all the hogs are before we kind of oh, descend dear. back oh, in. Dear. Okay. So, um, first one is human solidarity, right? We believe that God created everyone in his image and likeness. And that there is a, an equal dignity and rights for all persons, right? The human, uh, all human beings are united uh, in this common uh, solidarity as human beings. We have something in common that gives us responsibilities to each other and rights in relating to each other, right? But we're all bound somehow. We can't say, we're, you know, I'm a different kind of thing than this other person and I don't owe them anything. Or I, you know, I can treat them however I want, right? Uh, that's the solidarity of, of uh, human beings, okay? Which it's is a principle. A, and solidarity was that movement that John Paul supported, you know, in Poland. To, and that really was the, the grassroots thing that overthrew communism. Was, I don't know how you pronounce it in the Polish. Sorry, Yeah, yeah, I was going to try to. A couple of Z's and W's, no, no vowels. Uh, so. Father Garansky would always talk about this. <laughs> Oh, uh, I forget to. Yeah. Okay. So then, uh, the next principle, human solidarity, is the first. Second subsidiarity is well. We're oh, we're going to get sorry. to subsidiarity. The next one is private ownership and the universal purpose of the world's goods. So the church has always affirmed that private uh, that private property is a good for human beings. It helps us to be responsible, to take care of things, to have our own things, to to have ownership of the things that uh, we use in everyday life. So um, it's important for us to have uh, private property, and that's something that the church affirms. Does the church teach that that's an effect of, like it's, it's a good, but it's an effect of the fall? Because I'm oh, thinking of a homily... Getting, now you're getting me in too deep. I'm thinking of a homily that John Chrysostom gave where he talks about the chilling distinction between mine and thine. Oh, yeah. Well, and, that's where uh, the second point of this one between goes. Thrice and thrice. Thrice and thrice. <laughs> how many? I just think I. How many I, I coats I'm, do you own? Kinda, See, that's what haunted, he said. I'm kind of haunted by that line, like the chilling distinction between mine and thine. Yeah, and, and he also he, said, if yeah. you have two coats in your closet, one belongs to the poor. Right. You know. Yeah. He was pretty. He was pretty strict about the second point. So there is a. There's a right to private property. You should have a coat that belongs to you that keeps you warm, right? But. There, that should be balanced by the universal purpose of the world's goods. Right. We have stewardship of the goods, and we should not hoard them as a society, as one group, as one person, when there are other people in need. Right, and I'm not a communist. I'm not saying, like Terry Wright or Karl Marx would say, all private property is theft. So that was just a joke if Terry's listening, so our philosophy professor. What's it, would he say that? No, we, we always made fun of him about it, though, so... He's pretty close. He, he leans yeah, to that side. That way. <laughs> yeah, so here you have a balance. You have one yeah. side or the other. Right. Private property, um, the universal destiny of all goods. Right. Right? Okay, so you can't hoard. You, if, if there are others in need, we have a responsibility to them and um, to a stewardship of the goods of the earth so that they might be uh, shared and that everyone will be provided for. Right? Okay, so um, 
this yeah this brings you into this these questions of what is what is owed to my neighbor you know if there are people across the world my mom used to say there's starving kids in china you better eat your food you know i think that comes out of a principle of caring for other people and right. thinking in a way that's uh that recognizes solidarity of everybody right there there are people in need and we have to be good stewards of what we have you know it's just kind of like one of those motherly cliches but uh, I think it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Oh? Okay, so um, who is going to ensure that there's a balance between private goods and universal spread of goods? You know, uh, we're not supposed to hoard. You had this whole um, issue of, this is bringing it down if you want, this issue of the one percenters yeah. who own everything. Yeah. And then who, um, there are people in need. How do we take care of the people in need? So this brings us to the principle of subsidiarity. Subsidiarity. Okay, now this one... This we got, is a wonderful principle, but I just would like to say that. Yeah, it is. It is. Do you want to describe Not it? Not really. I want you to describe it. You got the notes right there. I do. Okay. It's, it's just, yeah, this is, this is good stuff. This is just uniquely Catholic. I don't know anybody who's talking like this, you know? Well, they're, they're actually rather common sense, I think, most of these principles. And I think they're things that people would agree with us about, whether or not they're, uh, if they have faith in Jesus Christ. That's what I think is remarkable about them. They're very human, and they're very common sense, the principles. Okay, subsidiarity is the principle that higher-level communities should not take over the responsibilities of lower-level communities unless those lower-level communities cannot reasonably fulfill the duties on their own. Right. Okay, so... Governance at the lowest possible level. Exactly, right? So if you can take care of your the poor in your family, you should do so. Mm-hmm. Or um, in your community, you should do so. This should not be left up. Not everything should be left up to some far away uh, bureaucracy that is governing a big, big group of people. It should be dealt with at the lowest level possible. Now, you can't deal with everything. Uh, it, help, it helps us to have um, a common currency, for example, and the regulation of a common currency. It helps us to have a federal government who can oversee the building of interstate highways. Right. But taking care of the poor, providing jobs. Um, this question of health care is right in the middle of this. It's kind of like walking on the fence. But um, the, the principle of subsidiarity is, I think, a very, very helpful one, a very good one. It brings people together. It actually creates a very healthy society because it has people taking care of each other. Right. I like it. I'm yeah. thinking about um, our time in Germany this summer, where um, Germany is like super, super, um, in terms of like um, caring for the poor, it's all federally done. The government does everything. And I remember I was talking to a friend up there, and he said when he moved to the United States, how weird it was when his company went to like help at a soup kitchen or something. Oh, he was yeah. like, this is so weird. This is why we pay taxes, you know? And right. he wasn't being cold, but it was just so strange for him as a German to say, why would, like, we don't do this, like, we hand this off. And that's, that's really problematic. Yeah. Like, if you don't, and I think it's really hard. I think it's hard for, I I bet the average person listening to this podcast is saying, I don't know how to have access to the poor, because everything is centralized, everything is, 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 there's the, and then the bureaucracy, if you want to actually give to these things, both in the church and outside of the church, it's massive, yeah, and so how much of it is actually getting to the people right. who have need? So, right. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's like uh, if you see a need for these starving kids in China, now 
no offense to China. I know they're doing pretty well these days or better. Um, yeah, and you say, I want to help them. You know, th- there has to be a mediating organization because right. I don't know the people in Ethiopia to send money to or to give my help to or to write letters to or whatever. So some of these things are very helpful. But the principle itself is reminding us to do as much as we can to help at a local level and organize society. So on this score, this social justice talk about community organization, good. We should. We should try to help. Our parishes should try to help meet the needs of the local problems as much as possible. We shouldn't abandon that, even though it goes with an ideology, right? Yeah. Yeah, remember subsidiarity. The lowest possible level. Organizing at the lowest possible, okay, and, and exercising authority. Okay, um, next principle is the importance of marriage and family. This is, um, this is because people are healthy when there's healthy families, right? Dr. Phil would not be employed if there wasn't a breakdown of the family. And this is a reality we live with. It's a very painful reality for a lot of people. Um, I think a lot of our policy in, in the States is made up of trying to uh, make fe- people feel good about their upbringing if uh, their family was broken. So nothing's wrong. It's good. You know, uh, I think it's good that we praise single parents who are working hard, but uh, to, we need to keep the, the principal interest on, uh, on the good of the family. Right. Raising a family. This is the healthiest environment, right. and this is where uh, people thrive from the beginning. And there's a, there's a difference between supporting people who have, are in difficult situations as families versus completely redefining the family, which has been the project of the last eight years in D.C. has right. been we need to completely undefine everything. And um, don't get me started on this. I just I'm I've been right. low grade pissed off for well, about and eight years, and and it's, it's justified. Around the it's justified on uh, mercy for or some sort of sympathy for people who have broken families. I think, uh, but I think it's it's unfounded, and it's a bad way to do society. It's a bad way to organize society and to promote. Um, Not only is it a bad way, it is the destruction of society. It will it will destroy civilization. Mm-hmm. You 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 mess with the family, and everything falls apart. And it, the whole th- the whole thing falls, and we've seen this historically, and uh, we're moving towards that right now. That's the really scary thing. So, anyways, Bostico, see, yeah, continue. importance of marriage in the family. There you go. Uh, and then importance of religion. <laughs> People, Father Clockman is pointing I to the hogs. <laughs> that was a little bit too high. I took a shot anyways. Oh, well, that's so. good. I mean, I think the, these things are real. They have real application, and we live with this reality, right? Now, watch your time because I got a couple of point, okay, I, pointed questions this for you is at just, the end. This is the last well, two. So I'm trying to get I'm ready. To blaze through. You're doing a good job. Okay, importance of religion. Okay, religion has always been a part of the human uh, project. It's an interest of every human being. It's part of uh, a healthy society that people are more high-minded. They're living for principles when they're religious. Now, there's a secular uh, humanist will say we can recreate these values, replace them with our own, and then make for ethical people, good people who are like high-minded and altruistic or something like that. But classically, and I think in, in a real world that they don't live in, uh, religion helps people to live in peace together and to create a good society. So religion always has to have an important place in society, right. and it should be protected. Right. It should not be an embarrassment to people, but should be uh, protected by the government. 
I think you nailed it with the, the secular humanism thing. This is the number one threat in the world, and um, it claims to be non, non, just like we're indifferent to religion. We've kind of transcended that. We're beyond it. B.S. It's absolutely anti-Christian. Atheism, I'm with Balthazar on this point. Atheism is a post-Christian reality. There's no such thing. You never see the forms of atheism as we see them until after Christianity comes to be. It's a reaction to, and people think they can just do this kind of noble pagan life as and, and, and inherit all these values which are from Christian revelation, the disclosure of God, and they think they can appropriate them and then build this perfect culture by themselves. It's crazy. And it just... So anyways, continue. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I mean, they should... You should be able to see. This, we're looking at an ideal. So when you look at anything else, yeah. you're seeing uh, the reality, the fallen reality. Yeah. Okay. Last one in these descriptive principles is the dignity of work and dignity of workers. So a, a society should not be, and a government should not be um, attempting to um, keep people away from work or keep them. Um, I don't know how to describe this. It, work is a good. Work is a good for human beings. It makes us responsible, makes us, uh, gives us meaning, makes us productive and helpful in society. It's something that gives people a lot of um, uh, peace and um, a role in, in society, right? So the government should be trying to promote that good by uh, recognizing the dignity of work, not uh, trying to help people kind of uh, avoid it. And then on the other hand, not forcing them to work all the time and um, forcing them to kind of live for their job, but to give them the freedom to do that meaningfully and um, to have that as a, as, as a part of their life and part of their dignity, yeah. you know, to yeah. give. Okay. Good work. Um, the, the application, I'm just going to read this list, and basta, no? Basta means enough. Enough. Uh, this is oh, he Italian studied lesson. Italian in Verbania. Oh, you know. okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Verbania. <laughs> Okay, so uh, application of these principles, we uh, are morally responsible for an openness to life. Life kind of takes principles. So when you hear Catholics talking about life issues, um, abortion, euthanasia, suicide, these kinds of things come up in, uh, ta- in political talk of Catholics because we have a, a strong interest to protect the, um, the innocent uh, lives that can be threatened by others. No? Right. Absolutely. And society has a responsibility to do that. Uh, there's a preferential option for the poor. You've got to look after the poor. And that's important. That's, imp- that's important. Oh, that's very important. Yeah. That we all need to, we need to see that, that those two go hand in hand, you know? Yeah. These are not separate. You don't choose one or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, we're looking out, looking out who, are, who can't take care of themselves right. as a preference for government. Not everybody's on an equal plane, but we actually try to go out of our way to take care of the poor. And that means also those who are helpless, like those who are being killed um, yeah. because they are, live in the poverty of not having control. Um, the, there's a right to a fair wage. You've got to pay people um, a fair wage for their work and at, at all levels. There's a right to uh, of a labor, uh, right of labor to organize. Um, so there's a, a history of um, employers taking advantage of laborers, and so the church has stood up for the laborers and said there's a right for the laborers to organize. And then there's a right to participate in government. That um, everyone should have every adult or at a certain um, stage, depending on uh, how, how the society sees that. 
um, everyone should have a right to have a voice and to participate in government. Even religious people. Even religious, Even religious people. people. Yes, Father John. Uh, <laughs> good. Okay, yeah. you ready to kill some hogs? <laughs> well, what, I don't know how much time. How much time is? We've been going. I think uh, 40 minutes. Okay, I'm going to ask you one extremely pointed question, all Uh-oh. right? And it's not who you're voting for. I, I can plead the fifth if I need to. I, I, I'm going to set this up for a second, and I'm going to be very honest. Well, no, I, I, don't want to, I don't want that to sound wrong. Either. No, 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 yeah, no. You, you probably do know who I'm voting for. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm just going to lay it out there for you, and then I, hopefully you can give some good thoughts. Because if I've learned anything about Father Mike, he's actually a very balanced and thoughtful response to my aggression and and craziness we are faced with two despicable characters one of whom is going to be our president donald trump and hillary clinton one who has horrible principles one who has no principles i'm completely unimpressed and these debates have shown (laughs) that these people do not care about virtue it's absolutely despicable and disgusting what's going on i find every option repugnant but there's a lot of confused Catholics, and I'm confused myself as well. So I turn to you for counsel. Oh. Here's my question. There seems to be basically two approaches of thoughtful Catholics. Thoughtful mm. Catholics. And I'm even thinking about within the brotherhood, talking to priests, you know what I mean? Even our, bishops. Our buddies, bishops, bishops have, even, yep. have published different things. There's stupid Catholics who are just going to do their thing. But of thoughtful Catholics, there seems to be two different things that I, I, I hear, and I'm sympathetic, and I go back and forth with each. Number one, um, a vote for Hillary Clinton is a vote for intrinsically evil actions that will come into play, and therefore I need to vote not for her, but to not vote for the other major party is to vote for her. So to not, this is what people say to me, to not vote for Donald Trump means to vote for Hillary Clinton. Okay? Right, yeah, that's yeah one I've heard op- that. Yep. That's one option. And then the other one is... Um, Ba- the other the other thing, which is basically these two people are... These two parties are completely destroyed. I can't support either of them in, in good conscience. And so I'm going to throw my vote away. But the question is, who do I vote for? Do I vote mm-hmm. for Andrew Logminus, who I think is a really great guy who lives here with us? Do I vote for Mickey Mouse? I mean, like... Or, or what, do you, what do you do? Or a third-party thing? Like, if you do go that route, what do you do? And does it even matter at that point? Because yeah. of this crazy monolithic bipartisan thing that we've created in the United States in the last couple hundred years. So. Well, I don't really know how to answer your question. I, this is going to be a disappointing answer for you because I can't counsel you one way or the other. I do think Catholics should vote. I do think we have a responsibility to participate when we've been given that, uh, that right. Um, we have terrible choices, like you say. I'm not thrilled about either of them, and I am um, rather frustrated by the whole system, but we can't despair. I mean, there, there are some um, other levels of, um, of government and legislation that are addressed on, on election day as well. So part of what I'm going, I'm going to go vote no on Proposition 106 in Colorado on physician-assisted suicide. Right. I'm going to put in a vote for the president, but I don't... Um, I, I think it's important for Catholics to um, to exercise their right to vote and also recognize their freedom. That this is up to your conscience, but your your conscience should be informed. And there are ex- uh, there are principles that take precedent. And um, this is a this feels very compromising. I think for many people, and um, I don't think 
um, it's good to vote because of an ultimatum or out of fear. But um, you should think about these things. Everybody should think about these things, consider them, and then go and make their best judgment. You know, yeah. I think you could go either way as a Catholic. You know, like you said, these are thoughtful people. We all have are faced with this difficult um, decision and situation. So, um, yeah, I think you've got to recognize some freedom. I would agree with everything that Mike just said. I would maybe nuance uh, perhaps another option is uh, there is a Catholic principle of voting for the lesser of two evils. Um, obviously, your conscience needs to be informed on these Catholic social teachings um, and how they affect the flourishing of our um, culture, the flourishing of the person, and the future of our country, and our country as really a beacon, a moral beacon, whether you like it or not, for the rest of the world. And so the way that we go is the way the rest of the world tends to go. Um, So uh, one person, as Father John was pointing out, is very much behind uh, intrinsic evils, abortion um, and other uh, moral questionable acts. Yeah, destruction of the family. Destruction of the family as well. Um, I, for my part, cannot vote for her. And the question then becomes, do I vote for the other party or do I vote for a third-party candidate? And that's where a person of good conscience and informed conscience needs to follow their conscience. I would say, though, I'm thinking as the two of you are speaking, and hopefully the facts are right here, um, um, Donna, that singer from Ireland, was running for parliament or for president of, of, uh, of um, Ireland. And uh, she's very pro-life. But because some of her individuals were um, some individuals that were also pro-life as well, didn't feel that she was pure enough in her pro-life stance, wouldn't vote for her, so it was a split vote. And so a very pro-abortion candidate won over her. And my point is, is that are we going to allow evil to thrive because either good men and women do nothing or they split their vote? That's something we need to consider. Yeah, and I would would add in, I mean, there are important things that are uh, not just... Um, there are important decisions made by the president that are not just his or her particular leadership. Um, that is, you have Supreme Court justices that are appointed that make laws that have a huge effect on the momentum of the culture of the society and uh, the legal system for a long time. Um, even the staff that a, that a person chooses to surround themselves with that are making decisions in the cabinet are um, hugely important. So, it's hard to tell exactly at this point who everyone would pick and how that will look and move forward. I think um, that uh, we have a sort of momentum and status quo that you can predict and you know is driving away from most of the the, um, the, the teachings of the church and um, our, the principles that we've just laid out. And I think heading toward the the, uh, the real destruction and chaos of society. Yeah. That's a very sad reality for me and a sad picture. But there's a lot of mystery right now, and it's it's a hard, yeah, very we hard gotta, time. we got to really trust in the Lord. I think that that's where it comes back to. And, and as the final thing I'll say on this is what I like about the way you approach this topic tonight was um, that we got to get back to principles. 
you know? Yeah. We got to get back to yeah, principles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because and, we got to uh, find a better way, too. We can. This is just the, a Catholics dead Catholics are one out of five Americans. We can help to pave a better way than this bipartisan system that is squeezing us into these terrible, terrible options. And actually, just watching our society fall apart, Catholics shouldn't do that. This is, what, this is our job, is to try to stand up and say, hey, there's a better way. There is a better way. We got to point that out. But we got to be educated. You know, and when these, well, when these politicians talk trash and say Catholics don't know what they're talking about, I say, well, let's in- inform ourselves. Right. Let's and I talk say, about these principles. Let's yeah. teach ourselves this stuff. And then let's have something to say, something to offer to the rest right. of society. You know? Right. Well, I'd say this. 2020, your vote should be for the new natural law candidate, Father Nathan Goble, for president of the United States. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, let's do some shout-outs. Here's outs. another Catholic stuff you should there know. There you go. Yeah. Cl- Clerics clergy cannot. are not <laughs> allowed know. to run for politics. I know. It's against canon law. All right, are you ready? I know you have no shout-outs, but we got to wrap this thing up. I'd like to give a shout-out to Chris Pickens and his crew who dropped off the bourbon that we just consumed this evening. Yeah, I didn't even get to meet him. Oh, I know. Either did I. Terrible. I know. I was we trying to. I mean, that's yeah. super generous, though. He came to the Very door. He looked for us. We weren't here. He's, yeah, it was and just, he, he uh, still hooked so us up. You are awesome, Chris. I hope we get to meet you at some point. Thank you for doing that. We really appreciate it. And then I mentioned Kitty Eisenbeel at the beginning and Blaze. Um, this is funny. You'll get a kick out of this. So I talked to her. She slipped through the net because she's friends with Larkin and the whole bit. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, you talked to her for a quick second. But she, after we talked yeah, hey, she, on Saturday night, she went to uh, her like Catholic mom's nights out at the parish Sacred Heart in Wichita Falls, Texas, and uh, they were not impressed that she talked to me. But when she mentioned to all these podcast listeners that she talked to Father Mike, oh Rapp, really? The ladies went, oh, went come crazy. On. So there you go. It's the curls. So uh, oh, Alfred and thanks, Brittany, Kitty. their friends, Alfred and Brittany, um, especially everybody's on. These are all Air Force people, and they're just awesome wonderful people she's a super sanguine someday i want to have all my the most sanguine people at one table and just see what happens and probably end up in a mass murder <laughs> but <laughs> yeah this could be and then trouble. speaking of sanguines whitney lyle uh, actually texted today and said will you guys do this topic and i said father mike's doing it so she's got oh her, yeah she's got her isaac off mug and she's drinking bourbon right now listening yeah to this yeah topic. Whit- so whitney we we're, love you. we're excited to ski with you in just a couple months so. right on you got any yeah shout outs <laughs> <laughs> you don't have anything. I need my list. I don't have anything in my You don't have I a list. I talk too much. You already. did a good job. All right, that's it. Good job. All right, well God done. bless you, everybody. Oh, hey, the last one I, th- I didn't mention is something that Catholics do and have from the very beginning is we pray for our country. And we, we love our country, and we try to pray for its leaders. So whether friend or foe, we're praying for you. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Father John Clockman. And we'll be back next week with Father John Leibniz. Yeah, yeah.